And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz and uh, flying without Mike uh, tonight, uh, but he will be back, I believe, next week, and we'll be jumping back into Proverbs. So you want to tune in then as well. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 24. And for those who uh, know how we've been doing the Proverbs series, when we started doing the Proverbs series, we were trying to do a chapter in one episode. It just would not work. It, it was impossible to get all of that covered in an hour basis. And so we we broke it down into two halves and we still couldn't do it in an hour. So we've been breaking them down into three sections uh, going through the Proverbs and we will be in Proverbs chapter 24 uh, and we'll cover those first 12 verses. And hopefully we could do that in an hour, but look forward to having Mike back with us again next week. He, he was gone for a while. Um, for those that were tuned in, he had some issues that had flooding in his house and uh, wasn't able to be there for a while, but able to come back in. Still got some work that he's got to do. And so, uh, again, he's not able to be with us tonight, but he will be back. And so we look forward to that. Tonight, we're going to be talking about practical atheist, one man's journey from punk to pastor. And we're going to have uh, Philip Dutry on with us. This is episode number 595, episode number 595. And, and Phil's been with us before. Uh, but we want to go ahead and welcome him back into the program here tonight. Uh, and uh, so, Phil, welcome back to, to G220 Radio. Um, glad to have you. How you been? I've been, I'm, I've been good, man. And I appreciate you having me back. Uh, the first time was a blast, and I enjoyed it very much. So I'm, I'm grateful that you would have me back on. Yeah. And this was both both times in conjunction with a book. And so um, this one is is Practical Atheist, as I mentioned, One Man's Journey from Punk to Pastor. And so we want to get into that. I want to be able to let you share your your testimony uh, as was laid out in this this book and and just some of the things that you brought out uh, that I think is very important in, in our in our day and age. I think um, we have a tendency to want to get numbers within churches. We want to get people saved. And because it's a good desire to do that, sometimes the way in which we can go about it is unbiblical. Uh, it, it's, it leads to an easy believism, which you, you talk about this in your book, and it, it leads to altar calls. It leads to repeat this prayer after me. And um, I got to a point years ago where I just stopped leading people in a sinner's prayer. I would pray with people, but I wouldn't lead them in a sinner's prayer. And the one thing that came to my mind, I always said as an example, if I do something against my wife, if I if I hurt her in some way with my words or in an argument that we're having, or, or I'm just not being kind, I don't need someone to tell me what to say to her, right? If it's genuinely true that I'm coming to her uh, for an apology or, or seeking an apology, seeking to be apologetic to her, um, it will come out of my heart naturally. And so mm -hmm. if we sin against a holy God and God has brought about a repentance and genuine faith within us, then I don't need someone to tell me what to say. I should be able, as the Spirit is moving in my heart, even if it's just Forgive me, God, I'm a sinner, as we see with the tax collector and the Pharisee when they're in the synagogue praying. He's just beating his chest and says, I'm just a wicked sinner. Forgive me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful way of putting it. I, I've never thought of it like that, but you are spot on there. 
Yeah. It, it, it's when you're, when I was dealing with children, like I was teaching uh, at, at a church I was uh, where I grew up at. And then I went back to, and I just, as I was leading these children and they were learning verses and, and I don't want to discredit that it's wonderful to learn verses and get a star or get a piece of candy for saying your verse. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that um, I, I kept noticing is a lot of these kids are doing this for the piece of candy or for the treat, which again, they're still getting the word, which is great. I'm glad that they're getting the word, but it wasn't a retention of it. It wasn't a, a desire to truly know it. It was more so of, I want to get this piece of candy. Now, again, I do believe the word doesn't return void. So many of those, when I was growing up in church, many of those uh, um, times where I learned Bible verses, they stick with you. So I, I'm thankful for that. I'm not, I'm not against those things. I'm just saying that, that what I was seeing was we can easily get these children to say what we want them to say and then write them down as a number. And then, you know, as they get a little older, they just disappear. They're no longer there. And where are they? They're in the world, living like the rest of the world. They never even made a profession at all. And so it was scary. It was eye-opening. Um, and I think that's what your book talks about in your own situation. And we're going to let you get into that. Yeah. But why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself, maybe for those who don't know you from the first time that you were here. And then and then tell us about your your testimony, how you came to know the Lord. And and we'll start there and, and, and go from, from that point. All right. Uh, so. I guess a brief introduction would be, uh, I'm obviously my name's Phil, but, um, for the last, I'd say five years, I've been working with a, a social media page called Deuteronomy. And out of that sparked, uh, the first book essentials, just a brief introduction to biblical theology. It's like a hundred pages. It just covers the, essentially the basics of the faith. I mean, things that I would hope every Christian can agree on the deity of Christ, you know, the Trinity, who God the Father is. Um, but I've been, I've served uh, for the last 10 years in various positions in ministry. I served as a senior pastor, a uh, family pastor, a pastor of family ministries and, and the like. Um, right now, I'm, I'm no, no longer in active full-time ministry, but I'm still, you know, engaged in the, the work of the church. That's... Uh, something my my passion is, will always be um so yeah that's kind of just the the short i always get feel awkward and people are like tell me about yourself because I'm right just, right i don't know right but uh so um i guess my testimony uh when i was a kid uh, going all the way back to when i was six you know i was raised in a in a, in a christian home my, my parents were godly people um they volunteered at the church we were at the church every time the doors were open uh, they genuinely love the Lord. And uh, when I was six, it was uh, VBS. Uh, we had um, my sister ended up making a profession of faith. Um, and I remember that night just how happy my mom was and the the joy that she had on her face knowing that my sister made a profession. And she asked me, she said, Phil, do you want to you want to ask Jesus into your heart? I mean, and what six year olds wouldn't want to uh to, to do that wouldn't want to see their parents that happy so i said yeah and um you know it was it was everything was going well um i was I, you know like i said i grew up in a christian home but at the, mm -hmm. the time i was i was surrounded by i mean everything i did involved the church i went to a christian school up in ohio um my all of my friends were either friends from my christian school or 
friends from church. And so the, the only day that I wasn't involved with something to do with church related anything was on Saturdays. And usually we were hanging out with kids from church. Mm-hmm. And then right around, uh, say right, right around when I was 12 or 13, um, my dad ended up getting laid off. And we went from going to the, this private Christian school and I transferred to the public school. And uh, I won't get into the, the politics of how I feel about public, public education, but I will say from my experience, it was not a good environment. Uh, within a week of going there, I had tried pot for the first time. Uh, and I got drunk for the first time when I was 13. Mm. And I really just came down to me wanting wanting to be accepted, mm-hmm. wanting to have friends, and so um, so I started doing that. I lived. Uh, I started just kind of experimenting a little, a little bit, and then right around that time is when I heard uh, the the first tease, and I was I was hooked. And so I started uh, the patches and studs, much to my mom's mm-hmm. uh, chagrin, experimenting a lot more with drugs and various other things. And I, I was still holding on to that, that prayer right, I said right. when I was six. I mean, I wasn't living a life that was reflected the biblical faith. Um, I was just living the way that I wanted to. Um, and so uh, it's kind of shortened it a little bit. Um, when I was, uh, it was 2000s, uncle uh, died of lung cancer. And we went from being, he was diagnosed and five weeks later, uh, he, he, he died. And at that point, I was, I was super, I was just an angry kid. I was angry, I was bitter, I was depressed, um, I was suicidal. Um, I was experimenting with drugs and alcohol. And for those five weeks, I was holding on to, to hope that there was a God and he was going to listen to my prayers. And I remember that day that he died. Um, I, that was an earth shattering moment for my walk. Mm. Um, I remember I punched the wall in the garage until um, my knuckles were bleeding and I just screamed. And I, I said some horrible things to God. And and I walked away from the faith okay. to drugs and alcohol even more. Um, and then one day, uh, I, I kind of making a really long story, trying to sh- uh, shorten it. Um, I ended up going to church for the first time. And uh, I remember I walked in there with a, uh, I had a crass t-shirt on, which is a, a anarcho-punk band from England. And you know my hair was blue. I had a mohawk. It was in a vest. That that vest that was covered in beer and other stuff. And I walked into the church, and it was the first time that I actually felt welcomed anywhere. Um, and I, I started going to church, and I had all these questions. You know, you know the issues that of theodicy, like why do bad things happen to good people? Why would God let right. this happen? Right. You know, and I, I started asking these questions, and the pastor at the time. Uh, he he was like, man, you got you're asking some really good questions. Have you ever thought of Bible college? And I kind of laughed because mm. uh, in high school I wasn't exactly the most. Uh, 
academic. Uh, my, at one point in time, my GPA was like 0. 0.93, mm. 0.9. But by God's grace, I found a, a college that accepted me. Uh, I went to college and, and I quickly realized uh, how different my attitude and my heart was because I'm in the middle of Pineville, Kentucky, of all places, in a <laughs> tiny Bible college of less than 100. And I've got, you know, I'm, I'm going to class in a studded belt with a misfit patch on my book bag. And uh, I, I just got into a lot of trouble there. And I ended up meeting my wife, my now wife. And uh, I remember I was listening to a sermon. I was there for like two years. And I was outside cleaning windows and I was listening to a sermon. Uh, oddly enough, it was Robbie Zacharias and he quoted James 2.19. And he said, uh, you know, you believe that God is God is real. Like that's that's fantastic that you acknowledge that God is real. But so does Satan. Mm. And it hit me like God used that line to make me realize like I, I it believed that God was real. Uh, I turned from denying his existence to acknowledging that he was real. But I never acknowledged him as Lord. I never repented. I had no concept of forgiveness. I had no concept of repentance. I just believed that he was real. Uh, so that was July 12th, 2012. I was standing outside uh, the, cl the classroom building or the, the administrative building at my college. And uh, uh, I cried out to Christ for the first time as Lord. And that's, it was funny. I called my wife that day and I was like, Hey, like, I got something to tell you. And she's like, what is it? Like, I just got saved. And she's like, you've been at Bible college for two years. Like you should have been saved already. Right. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I did. I should have, but here I am. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how my walk. I think we're experiencing some breaks in there. So there's, there's some pauses, but, um, yeah. yeah, for 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 more detailed, um, I want to encourage people to get the book. They're practical atheists because I know you go through it in in the book there, um, a little more detail to it. Um, but it is interesting, right? I, I think that uh, my wife and I we have a blended family. So um, she had children before we we got married, and when we got together, the 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 kids wanted to go out and evangelize with me. And they'd, they'd come out and they'd hand out tracts and, and they grew up in church, but they were so like wanting to go. And I'm like, this is great. They want to go out and do this. Well, later um, it became evident that they weren't genuine Christians. And they, they also later, they, they didn't want to come out as much. Um, and they said to me, a couple of them said, well, we did that because we wanted to please, like, we wanted you to love us. We wanted you to like us. And I'm like, well, that didn't make me love you or not like you less, you know, that they wanted to come out. But I, I think when you're young, the, that impression, you know, like you said, um, you saw what your sisters, the joy it was bringing to your, her, your parents, why not, you know, do the same thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like with, with my kids, you know, they, they seen, I enjoy going and evangelizing and they're like, I want to go because, Hey, we're this new family. I want him to you know, love us like his own children, which I do, you know what I mean? But to them, they're looking at it as, well, we want to make him happy. We want him to, you know, and, and I think sometimes even with working with children, uh, you know, you'll, you'll say, Hey, who wants to go to heaven and be with Jesus? Well, who's not going to raise their hand. Right. And say, I want to yeah, raise, exactly. I want to go. And so maybe not truly knowing or understanding, I do believe God can save a child. Right. 
Um, but maybe in, in, in some of these cases, and I think with many that we've seen in the American evangelicalism, uh, because I think it's evident when you look at some of these, these, uh, polls, I know with answers in Genesis, they've, they've also did some of these research polls where once a child gets to a certain age or goes off to college, they walk away from the faith. And mainly because they've not been grounded in the faith to begin with, never really had that genuine conversion. It's, it's, it's a, it's a a, a noticia, as we would say in, in the reform, you have a knowledge, but that knowledge has not gone to becoming a faith fiducia. You know what I mean? It's a, it's not coming to the heart of things. It's just an, an acknowledgement. And I know in my own case, um, Growing up in church from a very, very young age, I think maybe four, four years old, I know like uh, kindergarten, I think. I mean, I grew up in church. And so I've heard the stories. I, I've, I believed in my mind, like you, that Jesus was real, like he died on the cross. But it never was a transformation in my heart because I never came to truly understand my sin before God and repented of it and, and sought mm-hmm. him and trusting in him alone for my salvation. And so, you know, um, I, I think that can be commonplace. And for me personally, maybe you can speak to this as being a pastor um, as well, having having those roles. And then, I mean, we both have a child with the same name. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Mine's six. I don't know. How old is your your daughter? She's eight. She's eight. Okay. Eight. So that's even something we struggle with as parents because she loves going to church. She loves when we sit down and we do a Bible study or we sing a song right? Where the other kids aren't so much into it. Um, But what do you do? Because like, you don't want to uh, thwart that. You don't want to discourage that. You want to encourage it, but you also want to make sure that they're understanding what it is that, that we're teaching them about God's word. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, I've been, I've been blessed in the fact that um, my daughter has made a profession but I, I was real. I, I guess it was because of my own the the path that I took that I was so cautious of that that I I, I don't want to say like I I was skeptic skeptical of it, but I was because I mean she was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I mean this, this kid, by God's grace, she articulated the gospel more so than most Bible college freshmen I've met, um, and it, it it was it was just remarkable to see. But yeah. It was, it was, it's like I said, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to say that I was skeptical of it, but at the same time, I, I will admit that I was because as, as a culture, we're so quick to, to just embrace kids when they say they want to accept Jesus into their heart, when the kids have no idea what that means. Right. They right. have no concept of, of what the gospel is. They have no concept of repentance. They, all they know is that their teacher asked if they wanted to go to heaven, they raised their hand and the next thing you know, they're getting wet. They're getting baptized. Right. And right. I've seen that so much, like, especially as a, as a family pastor, that was the biggest struggle I had at my last church was mm-hmm. having to explain to these people that I don't care if they raise their hands when they ask if they wanted to accept Jesus into their heart. I care if they know why they need saved. Mm-hmm. If their answer to why do you need saved is, well, Miss Barbara said so. Miss Barbara said I can go to heaven. Like, that's not the gospel. The gospel right, is right. No repentance. 
and believing in Christ, the, the finished work of Christ on the cross, not raising your hands, you can get some stickers in Sunday school. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's kind of where, where we were because of my background as well. Not wanting to be, and, and, and I like the way you, you said that, they're not trying to be skeptical because I do believe God can save. My wife is is adamant she was saved at four years old, right? Um, yeah. For me, I know like, well, I wasn't. I, I didn't get saved until 32, even though I grew up in church and I made that profession a couple times at church camp. I did it at Awana's. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did it a couple times and I was baptized. Um but it was not a, a genuine change in my heart for the things of God. And so not so much wanting to be skeptical, but, but being cautious, being careful, because um, wanting, you know, yeah. like my daughter, our youngest one, um, to know Christ, to know the gospel, to know his word, uh, to love him. And to understand why without just jumping in, because I look at your, your, your book here, where a practical atheist, you know, you lived as an atheist, even though you claimed Christ. Right. And, and so what in my own life, I lived as an unbeliever, even though if somebody asked me, I would say, yeah, of course I believe in Jesus. Who doesn't believe in Jesus? Right. But the life was not demonstrating that. And so I know the, the, the things that I, the mistakes and the, the things that I, I, I could have been saved from, uh, worldly meaning of saved, uh, if I would have genuinely believed in Christ, I wouldn't have went down some of those paths. So you want to guard and protect your children from making those same kind of mistakes because they're trusting in, well, I said the prayer. I can never go to hell now because I'm saved. And once saved, yep. always saved. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's that was that's been one of my biggest frustrations when it comes to the, the doctrine like soteriology as a whole is the way that that doctrine of once saved always saved has has been misconstrued to become a license to sin uh don't get me wrong i i fully embrace uh eternal security um right right i i, I but I, I believe perseverance of the saints is a better explanation of eternal security and it's not that you make a profession and then you know you got to get out of hell free card and you can go do whatever mm-hmm. you want but instead, it's those that are genuinely saved, that have genuinely come to a genuine faith in Christ, will persevere till the end. Right. Sorry, I think we had a an issue there. Like it, it kind of just stopped on me. So I didn't know if you were finished talking or not. But, um, yeah, it's it's so important, uh, you know, to 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 make sure and to kind of be cautious in that that way. But at the same time, knowing that God is fully capable uh, of saving a child. But one of the things mm-hmm. I think that that leads to, and, and you speak about this in your book, you know, to talking about the once saved, always saved, you know, not um, rather than perseverance of the saints. So one who is genuinely saved will persevere to the end um, because he who began a good work in you will complete it. You know, God will bring it yep. to its completion. And mm-hmm. um, and we see so many people walk away from the faith. Um, and, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see it. It's heartbreaking when it's your children. I, I know, like I said, we have older children who grew up in church um, from, from, my, from my wife that they no longer, they wouldn't say they don't believe, but they don't, they don't hold to the Christian faith. And, and, um, and it's, it's heartbreaking to see that when it happens. Uh, but I think there are things that kind of lead to, to that within many churches um, and I think that's that's what you're writing about here in this book is some of these things that, you know, while 
of course we want to share the gospel with children. Of course we want to, you know, get them to learn the verses and and learn the Bible stories uh, that are that are not just stories, but but actual history. Um, we want them to learn these things, uh, these truths from God's word, but we also want to not lead them into this easy believism where, uh, you know, once you say this prayer, you never have to worry about uh, going to hell. Don't let the devil, you know, deceive you or or get you worried or thinking about, well, maybe I've lost my salvation. You know, just remember that time that you said that prayer, that you've signed that card or raised your hand when we said, bow your heads and close your eyes. You know, remember that. Mm -hmm. um, rather than remember Christ on the cross died for your sin and you've trusted in him. And, you know, and, and I think that we've experienced a lot of that easy believism for a long time. I think for a long time, uh, altar calls, you, you've got, um, I'm from Ohio. You're from Ohio here. Um, I know you're familiar with Oberlin. Uh, you've got yep. uh, Oberlin college where they've got this big, um, what do you call it? It's a stone monument. And, mm -hmm. you know, you got Charles Finney was out of there out of Oberlin College, and you've got this missionary uh, quotes on this big monument, stone monument. And you look mm -hmm. at the college now, it's it's, it's very liberal. Um, but you, yep. you, you, you see... <laughs> That's an understatement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to be kind. Um, but <laughs> you, you see that the, these, these children, they, they walk away from the faith because they, they're believing, they're being led to believe in trusting, as you mentioned, that, you know, saying that prayer, repeating that, that prayer after someone and, and in your own case, you know, dealing with death now, now death is, is a serious thing. When we, when we experience death, it hurts. It, it, it there's sorrow, there's suffering yeah. in life, but if you don't have the foundation with Christ, then when you go through that suffering, those questions do come up. Why, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Because in our minds, we're and to us, that individual is good world by worldly standards. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and so yeah. it's not that they're they're an evil, wicked, continuously evil person. Um, but in God's eyes, we're all sinners, and there is no one good. So bad things mm -hmm. don't just happen to 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 good people. That, that only happened once on the cross, right? And so mm -hmm. yeah. so then we don't really know how to respond to that. And I'm I'm thankful, Phil, that 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 pastor that you went to said go to Bible college. I don't know if that would be a response that I would give to somebody right off the bat that's asking me questions. I'd probably want to help them, you know, uh, answer some of yeah. those questions. But obviously, the Lord has used that mm -hmm. in your life. But maybe speak to some of those oh, things absolutely. that we see, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the the biggest thing that I've I've seen in my time in ministry and it's specifically in my life is. Uh, I think a lot of the reason why people are just walking away from the faith is because they just don't have the answers. Mm -hmm. And the church for the last 60, 70 years has been so good about pumping out softball answers and, and, and this cotton candy message that when the harsh realities of life hit, they just don't know where to turn. Uh, like specifically in my case, like I had all of these questions, you know, yeah, yeah the, the pivotal moment of, of my walk don't, dealt with my uncle uncle dying but there was that was just the straw that broke the camel's back there were so many things leading up to that you know 
I was, you know, I was going to public school and hearing about evolution, but then I was going to church and hearing God created the earth in six literal days. Yeah. So it was, you know, how, how, how are these things true? And I would go to my pastor or I'd go to the people at the church and ask them, like, how is this the case? And they would just say like, oh, you just need to have faith or, or they would just shrug it off as just, you know, attacks from the enemy. Mm. But these were legitimate questions that I was trying to reconcile. And I was going to the world and they were answering these questions. Right. They were they were giving me legitimate answers. They weren't giving me answers of just, you know, just have faith or stop, you know, listening to the lies of Satan. They were they were answering the questions. And uh that's one of the big reasons why I, I was so drawn to punk is because, you know, a lot of people think punk is just, you know, stupid kids ranting about drinking beer, but you know, there are bands like Bad Religion or um you know, anti-flag, they were addressing like legitimate social problems. They were addressing, uh, you know, the war in Iraq. They were addressing, you know, civil rights. They were addressing these things that I had questions about. And when I got into that, that period of my life, I was, I was on the fence and mm-hmm. one side was giving me what I thought was actual answers to the questions that I had. And they were addressing them at an intellectual level. And then the other side was saying, you know, just just have faith. So I, I think that the, one of the big reasons why we see so many kids. <clears throat> sorry about that. But one of the reasons I think we have so many kids walking away from the faith today is because they're going to these the, the, the pastors and they're going to their parents and they're asking these questions. And they're getting answers that don't add up. They're getting mm-hmm. answers of, you know, just have faith. Now, don't get me wrong. Faith is a, is a fantastic thing. Yes. But the Bible also tells us in, in Jude 3, you know, to contend for the faith, you know, the, right. the word agapanizo, you know, to grapple with, the, to wrestle with it, to, to get these answers. The, the, the Christian faith is not just a, a, a work of the heart, but it's an intellectual faith, too. We're not called mm-hmm. to be... Um, blind faith. Yeah, just... yeah, yeah we're, we're not called to, to just follow blindly. We're called to... to have the ability to give a defense for the hope that is found in us. And too many people just don't look at that. They, they look at the fact that Jesus said, have a childlike faith, completely ignoring the elsewhere in scripture where it says to contend for the faith or to study to show yourselves approved or the mm-hmm. Paul and the Bereans. And there are so many places in scripture where we see that the biblical faith is also an intellectual endeavor. Right, right. And people just completely ignore that. And we're mm-hmm. we're reaping the, we're reaping the benefits of this, or now the be- the consequences of this. We're reaping the consequences of sixty years of softball answers to kids that are asking legitimate questions. Yeah, that's why I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Noticia, the, the in in the reformed um, faith uh, or the reformed uh, side of things, if you, if you want to say it that way. Um, Martin Luther and them they they really pushed for this idea of that the Christian faith is Noticia which is it's knowledge. So you, you have a knowledge, you're told something, you're, you're, you're given knowledge about something, right? Um, and in this case, we're talking about the Christian faith. You're given knowledge from the word of God about Christ, his word. And then there's a census where you now take that knowledge that you've been given and you're either agreeing with it or you don't agree with it. And the census is you're, you're agreeing now with this knowledge that you've been given. 
And then there's the, the fiducia, the faith. You're, you're now taking that knowledge that you've been given and you're agreeing with it. And now you're trusting in it. You're, you're having confidence in it. You're, you're reliant upon it. And, and so it's not this blind faith. I know when I talk to atheists, they think that as Christians, we just follow this, you know, our, our pastors blindly. You know, um, oh, this Christian faith, you just believe this book blindly. No, there's there's evidence for it. I don't try to give you the evidence to make you a believer, but but there is evidence. It's not a blind religion. It's not a blind faith that we have. There's, I mean, if if you go back in history, um, just um, speaking with with atheists, they'll say, well, you you believe this book that's been translated so many times over the years and years, and it's kind of like that telephone game. It's basically mm -hmm. lost what was original. I'm like, that's not how it works. You got to understand that there are so many thousands of manuscripts, more writings for the biblical text than any other writing in antiquity, any other writings. And yet we believe that Alexander the Great was real. We believe that some of these other yeah. uh, people from history were real. But there is more evidence manuscript wise for the accountability mm -hmm. and reliability of the word of God than any mm -hmm. of these other things. Um, for mm. 500 witnesses, see Jesus and Paul, they, they even write, you know, if, if you don't believe me, there's still some of these people alive. You can go ask them. Right. And so, I mean, th there's just so much evidence of it. So it's not just blindly, but there is, as you mentioned, that important part, we are saved by grace through faith. It is that trust in what mm. God has done, uh, what Christ mm. has done on the cross, what his word tells us about him. Um, and so, yes, there is a faith there. Um, without faith, I mean, it's impossible to please God, right? So there's that knowledge. Then you're agreeing with that knowledge and you're believing in it. You're trusting completely uh, in, in the finished work of Christ, you know? And, and I think, I think it's so true because the, this idea that we, we, we don't have answers within the Christian faith, uh, when I deal with, uh, the black Hebrew Israelites or so-called Hebrew Israelites, many of them grew up in, and I'm a Baptist, I'm a Baptist you know, so mm -hmm. it hurts me when I hear them say, well, I used to go to this such and such Baptist church and I went to that pastor with answers or questions and they didn't have answers for me. And then I'm out on the streets and I see these guys out here who have their Bible and I ask them a question and they take me right to a passage of scripture. They do so wrongly, but they take them right to a passage of scripture and they're showing them we got answers. We got answers here. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're believing those answers or people that go off into Mormonism or mm -hmm. Jehovah Witnesses. When you see them on the sides of the streets and and somebody goes up and they start answering questions for them, they have answers that we within the church should be answering questions that people come and bring. Not saying, like you said, well, you just got to have faith or you just got to read the Bible. You know, no, let us help them. This is, this is the, the role of of why the, the to the church God gives pastors, evangelists, teachers, you know, so forth to help instruct the body, to build them up so that they can go out and, and be a light into the world, you know, and mm -hmm. it's so true. It's, it's, but it's so important that we, we recognize that. And, uh, I think not just throw anybody as a pastor or anybody as a Sunday school teacher. Um, I think it's important to kind of vet that, you know what I mean? Yep. And it, it's, you know, you brought up Mormonism and, uh, that's that's one of the things that like that's one of my favorite areas of, of apologetics is you know dealing with Mormonism. 
I say it's my favorite. It's, I hate that I have to, but it, it's the one that I'm most passionate about because if you look at statistics, and I'll try to I'll try to find it later tonight and send it your way. But if you look at the statistics of converts to the Mormon Church, mm. the largest demographic of people that convert to Mormonism come from the Baptist the Baptist faith. Um, and wow, I, I didn't I know think that. that That's... Mm-hmm, yeah. And if you've ever sat down and talked with a Mormon missionary, um, they're good. They are they are sneaky. They will redefine terms and they'll. Uh, they'll, they'll they'll pull pull you know point right to passages you know Jesus is the Son of God and like they'll they'll agree with that mm-hmm. they'll agree with it but we define it as you know Jesus is the Son of God in the in you know the original context of what that meant that was a, a, a term of divinity that was recognizing that he was one with the Father they'll look at that and say that you know Jesus is the literal child of, of mm-hmm. God that he's the literal Son of God and and they're they're answering questions that people have from a satanic perspective mm-hmm. and the Baptist, the Baptist church. And I say this as someone who, who grew up in the Baptist church, who's ordained as a Baptist pastor, who, who holds the 1689 um, Baptists by and large, aren't answering the questions. And we got people like the, the Hebrew Israelites and the Mormons and Jehovah's witnesses that are answering questions and they're, and we're seeing again. We're seeing the the consequences of just weak theology, and that that that, that should be an indictment right. on the, the evangelical church as a whole to recognize the importance of having having theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure you've you've heard this this statement before, but when anytime someone says, "I don't need theology, I just need Jesus," like, well, that in and of itself is a theological right. statement, right? But theology isn't a bad thing. It's it's the study of God. That that's right, that's right. all it is. Is the study of God. You're going to have theology. The, the question is: Are you going to have biblical theology, or are you going to have bad theology? You're going to have unbiblical theology. Yeah. And the fact that so many people just don't. It's not even just studying theology, but it's just reading the Bible. You know, if you look at the the the. the Need people here to perfect. Don't oh, hold on, Phil. That read. you was kind of breaking up there. Maybe you could repeat what you were saying. I'm sorry. Uh, statistics that comes out. Um, this, you know, the state of the. You know, I, I'm sorry. But um, oh, you great. know, you got if you if you look at the the state of theology survey that that Ligonier puts out every two years, mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority. of the people that profess Christ don't read their Bible, and that that should that should scare us because you have people that profess that they love Christ mm-hmm. that aren't spending time with them, that aren't studying His Word. Um, I use this illustration. You know, I, I teach a theology class at my church on Sunday night, and I, I've used this this illustration so much. I'm pretty sure they're getting sick of it. But I've been I've been married to my wife Randy now for for ten years. Uh, January 12th or January 20th makes 12 years that we've been together. We started dating January 20th of 2012. We got married May 19th, 2013. And if on May 19th, 2013, I stood before her and professed my love to her and we got married. And then the next day I just ignored her and I go and spend one hour a week with her and tell everyone, but I tell everyone that I, that I, you know, I love my wife, but I, I don't spend time with her except for an hour a week. I don't listen to her. I don't study her. 
No one would look at me and think, wow, Phil's a good husband. They would look at me and say that I'm failing as a husband, that I'm, I'm neglecting my wife, that I'm just a terrible example of, of what love is. Mm-hmm. But yet we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that profess Christ in the church that don't spend time with him, that don't read his word, that don't study him, but yet they say that they love him. Well, their actions beg to differ. And yeah. that that's why we're seeing so many people walking away from the faith because they don't have a faith to begin with. They've said a prayer, they've walked an aisle, they, they've signed a card, but they never had that love. Right. So, yeah. You know, you know, what's, what's, when you was bringing that up about, um, you know, when people say, well, we don't need theology. I remember being in some Bible studies where there are saints there. And, and I do believe they're Christians. I do believe so that are in their seventies, eighties, you know, seventies and some in their eighties who were sitting there and we start talking about a theological aspect from the scripture um, that comes up through the Bible study. And more than one that I've been in, these men say, well, we don't, we don't need that theology. We just need Jesus. We, we just need just to love Jesus, just to love Jesus. And I think the same thing. Sometimes I'm like, but wh- who's this Jesus that you love? Because as soon as you start breaking down who he is, you're doing theology. It's a study of God, as you said, you know, and so <clears throat> this idea, I think we got to lose that mindset um, and and realize that when we're digging into the word of God, and I think it's really important what you just said there about the love for God, not just because, I mean, I'm reformed and I know that there are many times where reformed guys can, you know, dig into really understanding something intellectually, but then mm-hmm. lack the love for people or the love for God. And, and we, we don't want to do that. I'm not, I'm not trying to broad brush everybody in, in the reformed camp by saying that, but it, it does mm-hmm. happen. Right. So when, when we're studying things, we, we shouldn't be studying just for the sake of winning a debate. When we come across the Mormon or an atheist, it's no, because we love them. And also that study draws us closer to the God we serve to the God mm-hmm. who saved us. The more you mm-hmm. learn about God, the more it draws you in. When you read the Psalms and look at how David and, and these psalmists write about God, I mean, that just draws you to want to worship him. You know what I mean? Yep, 100%. And so there's, you know, as you were talking, I was reminded of, um, I think it was John Piper that talked about this. Um, he, he used the illustration of the Secret Service. Um, you know, you think of Secret Service, you most people think of like presidential protection and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But the Secret Service was originally designed and set up to fight counterfeit currency. That was their whole, that, and even to this day, that's still what they do. The majority of what the Secret Service does is they fight counterfeiting. Um, when a new agent joins the Secret Service, they'll spend, I think it's like the first two years of their time there, studying actual money they they will not look at any counterfeit currency until two years I, th- I think it's two years after they start because counterfeiting constantly changes you can you can find out one counterfeiter and learn everything about him 
but then the next one you can be fooled by it but what they'll do is they'll look at the actual money and they'll study it intently for two years because once they know the real thing in and out it's so much easier to spot the fake mm-hmm. and it's the same way with us as christians we we don't you know we, we spend that time and we study god's word and we study the bible and and as we study the bible we, we develop that genuine love for him and that love that we develop studying the scriptures will motivate us to go and share the gospel with those around us and because mm-hmm. we spent that time studying his word when we do engage people that may have you know heretical theology or we're, we're able to identify it not because we spent time studying the falsehoods but because we've spent time studying the word and spent time with with god and it's only after we've been able to do that that we're able to identify the falsehoods but once we spend that time studying it we develop that love for him mm-hmm. and that love will then go and and be demonstrated by the way that we interact with others and yeah. you said you touched on the fact that so many people study just to win a debate mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong like if, if you follow deuteronomy or if you follow the phil dozer page you know that i love to debate so do and i brother so I, do I. I. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes my life so so angry sometimes. <laughs> but so it, it's I I even find myself like arguing with people because I want to win, and that's something that we all need to be mindful of: is that we're not we're not arguing to to win a debate. We're arguing and 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 engaging in these discussions with the hope that God will use our time and preparation to to convict someone of the gospel that they would come to a legitimate faith in christ not so that we win an argument but that we mm-hmm. the lord would use our our endeavors and our preparation and our study to to see other people come to christ yeah no yeah absolutely 100 brother uh, i i love a good debate i love discussing uh theology with people <clears throat> i love engaging with atheists on the streets i love talking to the hebrew israelites I love talking to the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, when I see them, I love to go up and start trying to talk to them and see as long as I can go before they want to end the conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, though, and, and there are times myself, even I'm guilty. Uh, there's times where I've gotten into conversations with the Hebrew Israelites and because of their aggressiveness, I get in the flesh mm-hmm. and I want to win mm-hmm. that battle rather than winning their soul. You know, um, mm-hmm. which ultimately God saves, but you know, <clears throat> you're you're seeking to do that when you initially go up. But again, mm-hmm. it it when you have the right motivation in that, when when the Spirit of God humbles you, and mm-hmm. and the 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 study of God's Word causes you to love Him more and love who you're uh, engaging with more, um, it becomes less and less about that. There's times again we we still have to fight the flesh, um, mm-hmm. but. I think debates can be healthy and they should be used and and people can see sometimes Mm -hmm. the folly of the other position. Mm -hmm. Um, So long as we maintain, as you mentioned, the, that, that we have to come at this with a spirit of uh, humbleness, uh, Mm -hmm. graciousness, uh, um, a desire for them to get saved. And sometimes you got to be like Martin Luther in the way you talk to people. Um, But, (laughs) but, Ultimately, knowing me being hard for the gospel here isn't because mm-hmm. I'm trying to just be rude. It's because I mm-hmm. want you to understand and see your folly, right? Exactly. And so, 
Yeah, absolutely. Now there's a, it, it's, it's funny that you bring that up because every time I, I, I deal with this a lot that people will say, you kind of get on to me because they'll say that I'm being like, too aggressive. But I mean, sometimes that's what people need. Like I know, I know when I was uh, claiming atheism, I had a cousin. I go over to his house, and um, it was right after I quit. I quit drugs, and I I, mean, I had no friends, uh, so I would go over to his house, and we would just sit outside in his garage and and talk. And there was one conversation that we were having, and I I was talking about how the resurrection or the virgin birth was uh, was was silly. And you know, I was throwing out theories, you know, maybe this happened or maybe this happened. And he just got so fed up with the stupidity that I was saying. He just looked at me and was like, Yo, you're an idiot. Like, just stop. And a lot of people, like, a lot of people now, if you if they were to hear my cousin say that, they would look at him like, wow, you're just being hateful. You shouldn't have said that. You need to love him the way that Christ loved him. Like, Christ also flipped tables. Like, Christ was very harsh sometimes. And we see elsewhere in scripture where sometimes the harsh tone is what was needed. Mm-hmm. Personally, that was what I needed because instead of me getting defensive, I just thought like, well, this is a guy I look up to and he just called me an idiot. Why did he call me an idiot? And it made me examine what I was thinking. So sometimes the harsh tone is what's needed, but we also have to examine ourselves. Is the harsh tone because we're angry at, at what's going on or is the harsh tone motivated by the love that we, we want to express not only the love that we have for their soul, but also the hatred that we have for what they're saying. Yeah. And that, that even, even that hatred should be motivated by the love that we have for what they're speaking against. Right. Well, even in the scriptures, when, when uh, the psalmist writes, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Um, they're, they're being called a fool. And if, when you think about it, the Old Testament is primarily, especially in the Psalms, you're talking about the Israelites who are living like practical atheists, you know? So mm-hmm. the fool says in his heart, you Israelites who have God as your king, but yet you want a you want a, you want an earthly king mm-hmm. who's God, who's your theo, you know, your head of this theocratic nation, but yet you want to go your own way. And mm-hmm. and the fool says there is no God and lives as as if there is not one. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Proverbs, you know, the wisdom cries out in the streets, but they don't want to hear it. And mm-hmm. and so sometimes I think, as you're you're mentioning there and 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 saying, sometimes with some individuals, and I've seen this, not just for being a jerk for Jesus, but I've I've been strong with them at the college campuses. You get some of these kids that come up that think they are, you know, um, they don't believe in God, but God's gift to you know. Uh, um, education or something. They're, they're very mm-hmm. intellectual and they'll say mm-hmm. these things to you and you just straightforward say something bold and truthful and, and their mouths get shut, you know, mm-hmm. because you're, you're holding them accountable to what they said. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not because you're trying to be mean, you're just trying to be truthful and, and say, wake up from your mm-hmm. nonsense here and your mm-hmm. foolishness and come to the one who can save you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I think it's so important. And atheism is definitely probably the, the biggest puller of our children, I, I think, um, when you, mm-hmm. you think about them going off to college. And when, you, when we talked about having questions, when you go in there and a, a professor who many of these children or young kids will regard highly um, in this academic kind of setting, 
we'll, we'll, we'll laugh and mock at the idea that there's a God and they will promote this evolutionary theories and other ways in which they believe that we've got, we, we've, we've come here uh, or evolved over years and they'll take that as fact. And, and creation is a big one. When, when these students go to these pastors and they can't give them actual answers to, well, what about dinosaurs in the Bible? Well, what about, uh, you know, it says six days, but but when we go to the museum, it's like millions of years. How do you account for these things? And they don't have answers. Again, not that we have to be experts in everything, because we're not, but mm -hmm. there are answers that are there that we can give to these young people that will be more beneficial to them rather than sending them off to these false religions for answers or to these mm -hmm. uh, atheistic professors for answers. And then they don't come back. Um, now, ultimately, God is sovereign over that. But um, I think it, it really comes down to us being within the church. Um, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Proactive in mm -hmm. seeking to 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 give our children good answers that they they have them, whether they believe or not. I'd say that's up to God, you know, working mm -hmm. in their heart. But giving them answers so that their reasons aren't, well, they didn't have answers for me. Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's exactly it. And that's, as, as, a, as a father, that's, the, the being a father has made the study of theology so much more real because it, it's made me realize that, yes, I'm studying theology for my own walk and to grow closer to the Lord. But as, as a father who's been entrusted with the soul of my daughter, it's my responsibility to equip her mm -hmm. because as much as I, I would love to be around until she's a hundred, that's not going to be the case. I'm going to die at one point. And the legacy that I leave behind for her is going to be modeled by the way that she, she understands the way that she is and, and the life that she lives. And if I spend my life more focused on worldly things, and leave that as for her, and leave that for her, and and forsake the discipleship that I've been entrusted with. I'm a, I'll, be, I'll be a failure. My legacy will be a legacy of failure. And that realization made me real, or that made me realize that that the legacy I need to leave behind her is one where I, I equip her as best as I can. Ultimately, you're right. Her salvation is is God's gonna God's gonna save her. But I can, God can use my discipleship and my equipping her more so than than anything. And if, if I leave behind a legacy where I, I just neglect that and she goes off to college and she meets an atheistic, atheistic professor that answers questions that I didn't answer when I had 18, 19, 20 years to do so, mm -hmm. I'd be a failure as a father. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. That's what makes this calling of being a parent so, so important. Um, it's a high calling. Um, God gives us our children as a gift um, to, to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and to be able to, to answer uh, questions for them um, and not just tell them, well, what did your Sunday school teacher say? Or go read the, this book, you know, like, no, let me help you. I, mean, I can give you some resources, but let me help you understand mm -hmm. it. Um, and if I don't know, let me look it up for you because, mm -hmm. They're coming to you for for answers, and uh, we should be able to give them to them. All right, Phil, I, I do appreciate you coming on. I want to give you the last uh, couple minutes here. Um, anything else that you know we we may have not covered that you'd wanted to cover 
uh, with the book or where people can find the book. I, I know um, I personally got mine off Amazon, but maybe there's a better place to get it, uh, you know, uh, or or whatever, whatever you want to, you know, take this last couple minutes and, and, and share what's on your heart there. Um, so Amazon right now, it's Amazon's the only place you can, you can find it. Um, this, this is actually the second edition. It was originally published through Ichthy's publications, but they, 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 they went under. So right now, the only place you can purchase it is through Amazon. Um, and, but yeah, um, the, the one thing that, uh, I, I kind of want to touch on and just, that's just, just because it's my favorite, my favorite part of the book, um, Every time I, I think of the gospel and I think of, you know, our, what that looks like in, in our walk, um, I, I'm reminded of a conversation I had uh, in Panama. So the last chapter of the book I wrote um, on a Friday after I had the most difficult day of, of ministry I've ever had. Um, I, I won't I won't go into details about this, but when I was in Panama last year, I went on a, a we, we went to uh, a hospital. It was Santo Thomas Hospital in downtown Panama City in Panama. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the country, not because every time I talk about Panama City, they're like, oh, you went to Panama City Beach. Like, no, it's the, the country in Central America. Um, we were there and I was outside of this hospital and I was talking with a man named Carlos through an interpreter. And um, that was the moment that I realized just how big and important the Great Commission is because i was standing there talking with this this guy and we were talking through an interpreter and this guy had been saved for 12 years and he was sitting outside of the hospital every day and he was sharing the gospel with those that that came into the hospital and we were talking and i could not understand a thing he said i know like four words in spanish and three of them i can't say on this podcast mm-hmm. um and i'm listening to this guy talk and the interpreter's telling me what he said and we ended up praying together and this was a guy who grew up in a country that my country invaded in the 80s this was a guy who did not understand a thing that i said i did not understand a thing that he said but we prayed to the same god and we pray for one another and i have no doubt that one day me and him will stand before our savior united under the gospel and that's the beauty of the Great Commission, and that's why the way that we—that's th- why our walk is so important. Because the walk that we have with Christ is going to be demonstrated by the way that we interact with others. And if our purpose is to take the gospel, if our love for Christ leads us to share that with others, that's going to have eternal imp- an eternal impact. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not called to be silent on our faith. We're not called to sit there and and, and just to not engage others we're called to take that to, to the world and the reason i bring this up is because that was the moment that i realized how important the great commission is because this was a guy in a country i'd never been to before that spoke a language i'd never I, I don't know and someone down the line shared the gospel with him mm-hmm. and someone shared the gospel with them and because of that this guy in panama and this this guy from the united states were united under that same beautiful message of of the the work of christ and the cross Mm. and if that if our if our love that we have for the lord does not lead us to take that gospel to others then we have to ask ourselves do we really love the lord 
And the, the whole purpose of why I wrote that book is, is to show not only to deal with the issues that are within the church, but to, to show the importance of having that biblical faith. Because if we don't have a biblical faith, then we're not going to take that gospel to the world. And if we're not going to take it to the world, then we're failing in our walk with Christ. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, again, Phil, I want to thank you for coming on on the program tonight. Uh, I really did appreciate uh, our conversation and just kind of casually talking about about the the book Practical Atheist. Again, it's one man's journey from punk to pastor. You can get that on Amazon. I encourage you to do so. Um, and uh, again, brother, I thank you for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, Love to have you back on again sometime when we're talking about, uh, you know, some other theological topics or whatever, uh, you know, we happen to be talking about um, on the program. Uh, I really do appreciate you, brother, and thankful for your book and and just that call to 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 have answers, that call to not live as practical atheists, even though we profess the name of Christ. We need to live for Christ. Uh, if we have truly been 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 saved by Christ, we've repented of our sin. Uh, we need to walk accordingly, knowing that we're not perfect. We're not sinless perfectionists around here, but uh, we we do have a should have a desire to to walk out that and be a light to others to see Christ in us and be able to pro proclaim that to others as well. So I really do appreciate that, brother. Thank you for coming on and sharing your testimony and uh, some insights from your book there. Well, thank you for having me. I, I really do appreciate the opportunity. All right. Well, that's been G220 Radio for tonight. Uh, thanks for, for tuning in. Uh, next week, we're going to be, again, back in our Proverbs series. Uh, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, we're going to be talking about Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. We'll see you then.